this place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Oh, hey there, guys. It's uh, QB11 back with another episode of the QB11 show. Have you been hanging out in Minnesota? <laughs> I, I have several clients from the Midwest, so yeah, I've been basically hanging out in Minnesota. Well, as he said, this is the QB11 show, and that is Andrew, QB11, back with us after uh, a hiatus of one episode, which he was definitely missed. And of course, I'm Doug Scott, as always. Your humble host. How are you today, Andrew? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Doug? I am well. I'm excited to uh, record again with you. I missed your last episode, and I'm excited about the content we have coming out here today. Something a little, uh, something old, and something new. So we'll uh, we'll get on to both of those things. And uh, of course, Justin Hopkins over at ScoopDuck.com is not with us this episode. He and I put an episode out a couple days ago. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. And, and of course, he'll be back on our next episode. I'm sure. Yeah, so, everyone make sure to shower Doug with love um, for doing this. He he has been the most accommodating of all of us, given the kind of some of the scheduling issues we have, given uh, we all have busy lives, and um, some of us have uh, more like nine to five jobs, and then there's me who just kind of works all the time, and then Justin obviously has his kids and his his business to run as well, and so. Um, our schedules are not always the most compatible, but we've been trying to make it work during the off season here and um, make sure to give Doug his praise for, for making this happen and allowing us to continue to put out quality content on a weekly basis. Yeah, we're going to rename it to the Doug Scott show. I think, um, I think that's appropriate. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, or not. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we don't, we said yeah, we did. Let's not. Yeah. I don't think anyone's yeah. coming for the Doug Scott show. So, uh, let's get to it. I, we started back in, I think, December or January. We started a series that we intended to be uh, a part of every episode or almost every episode. And, and unfortunately, we got away from it with, I think it was right around the time we brought Justin in and started doing three-way pods and then more stuff. Pickleball pod, yeah. Pickleball pod, all that stuff. So we kind of got away from this. I know some of our readers asked us to get back on it, so we're going to do it. And that's our position room by position room kind of rundown of the current roster as we head into spring ball. Well, I mean, technically spring ball started. We're restarting spring ball here. I think uh, today or tomorrow is the next practice. Like tomorrow is the third practice of spring ball. So uh, today we're going to talk about the running back room. And there's five people in this room. Um, obviously, we'll start at the top with last year's 1,000-yard rusher um, transfer from Minnesota, Bucky 
Irving. QB, start there. Yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to see Bucky return. I think he was a back to me that, like, as he got more comfortable as the season went on with the system, with what they were asking him to do with the offensive line, as that, that group kind of gelled, he just kind of got better and better as the year ran. Um, guy's just a bowling ball of butcher knives. Just, like, if you're going to tackle him, he's not the biggest, most physically imposing. I don't think he's the most physically gifted running running back of all time that, that Oregon's had. But he's got to be pound for pound one of the most difficult to tackle. He just breaks tons of tackles. He runs super, super hard. And he's really dynamic in space. I think he makes a lot of guys miss. Um, so I think when you add all those things together, I think he's one of the more complete backs that Oregon's had in recent memory. Uh, although there was a few cases last year of drop balls out of the flat and out of the backfield. But just, just in general, I think the inside of 20 yards, I don't know that there's a tougher runner in the conference this year than Bucky Irving. Yeah, obviously, as he filled in the year before at Minnesota for Mo Abraham, um, you know, there was definitely some tape on him, and he had, I think, almost 700 yards there at Minnesota that year before he came over. So it wasn't like nobody knew what we were getting, but I'd also say probably most Oregon fans don't watch a lot of Minnesota football. Um, so probably most fans didn't know what, what we were getting with Bucky, and, and obviously was part of the two-headed monster, I think, that Coach Lachlan likes to run. And we'll, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more later. Um, but he, he really, in addition to being a lot of yards after contact, hard to bring down, but also really shifty, shifty, not necessarily, you know, kind of shifty through the line, right? So kind of is able to slip, slip around guys as well as get through them. And um, just really, like you said, I think he got better and better as the year went on. He had that, even despite his early um, kind of hands issues in the passing game in the first few weeks, he still caught that. Pretty pretty difficult catch on fourth and fifteen in the Washington State come late in the Washington State comeback that uh, if he doesn't make that catch the, the Ducks don't win that game and that was a that was a pretty big time catch for him and he certainly had a few of those throughout the year as well but um, yeah uh, on the season he ran for one thousand and fifty eight yards almost seven yards of carry six point eight only five yard or only five touchdowns rushing <laughs> a big part of that was uh, you know Oregon's uh, Oregon's uh, use of Jordan James at the goal line, as well as using using Bo Nix to run a lot of uh, a lot of short yardage runs in. So, you know, for guys like Bucky and Noah, if they didn't score from you know five yards plus out, they they usually didn't get a chance to to punch it in after getting us all the way down the field or, or most of the way down the field. So, five touchdowns. He also had uh, uh, 31 catches out of the backfield for for 300 yards and three touchdowns there. Yeah, like when I think of like Bucky over the course of the year, I just like. I think he ended the year on such a strong note against North Carolina. Just that first half in particular, he was just untouchable. Um, breaking tackles, making guys miss in the open field, setting up second and third level defenders to be made miss, breaking off big chunk runs. I'm just really excited to see what he looks like with, again, just another year of maturation in the weight room. Um, and then also another year of familiarity within the system um, in the offense. I think that ultimately he'll have another thousand yard year, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think as we move on, uh, probably to Noe Winnington next, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if the use of running backs changes at all under, you know, Will Stein, or is it, is it completely completely the same kind of, I don't mean the formations and stuff like that, but like more of the rotation, right? Is it, is it going to be more of what we saw last year, where you really have, you know, running back 1A and 1B, right? I think the, the workload between Bucky and Noah was was probably like 60-40 um, throughout the course of the year. 
yeah, 156 carries for Bucky and 139 for Noah. So, you know, maybe maybe even closer to 55-45 there. And then you obviously had your situational backs, right? So you had you had Jordan James as your goal line back. Uh, earlier in the year, they used uh, Sean Dollars as kind of a third down back until until later in the year when when I think he was looking to move on and and stop playing much. But um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see if that continues or if we see more of a true number one running back. Yeah, I think ultimately it'll, it'll probably end up being the same. I think that. Well, I don't know. I, I agree to a certain extent that it'll be the same, but I also think that now that it's 100% Lachlan's room, like every single back in this room has been recruited by Carlos Lachlan now at this point. So Coach Locke having all of his own guys, I don't think that he's going to be forced to manufacture roles in the way that he did a year ago. I felt that Sean Dollar's role was very manufactured and forced. I felt that Byron Cardwell's role early in the year was very manufactured and forced. Um, and ultimately, I think that he would have preferred to have it be a Bucky – uh, Whittington backfield with like James as the third back all year. Uh, but that's just not how it ended up working out. So now that he has all of his own guys, I think that we'll see it be 1A, 1B. Um, and then I think that the B back will be uh, James. And then I think that we'll see Dowdell um, likely take over that like goal line back, situational back um, as a true freshman. And then I'll, I'll be really intrigued to see how. Uh, Jane Lamar ends up uh, figuring into the rotation in year two under Coach Lachlan. But I think that those... you got too many people there. What do you mean? You said there's one A and one B, and you put Jordan James as the B. Or you're saying he's the third back. Like, I think he's the third back. Okay. I think that he's like, or the second back if those guys are one A, one B, right? Like, I think Okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think that like Bucky, Bucky and Noah are the primary backs. Maybe Jordan retains his role as the short yardage guy. I mean, he's only going to get stronger in year two. Uh, but I think that he might find himself running more in between the 20s in the open field than he did a year ago. you got to remember, like, running back's a position, too, where guys get banged up in a game and are unavailable for a quarter. And I think having a guy like James um, emerging as that third back will be really greatly beneficial to Oregon. And then I think that situationally, because of the difference in skill set, that both Dowdell and Lamar are going to be able to carve out at least, like, tertiary roles, uh, possibly in, in sub-packages. Um, but and then there'll be really good backs to put games on ice late in games and, and start forcing reps too. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing you'll you'll say about this room is it's an embarrassment of riches, right? I mean, there's there is no question uh, who has the deepest running back room in this conference. I, I don't even think it's close. I mean, I, our Dante Dowdell would start for half the teams in the conference. Uh, Jordan James probably too, um, and of course. It's an embarrassment of riches for Oregon, but as you said, you know, with hopefully a lot of games, you know, being in garbage time in the fourth quarter, there's there's run there to be had for for the young guys particularly, and then also, you know, you you, you give you can you can almost kind of load management some guys, right? Okay, you're a little banged up. It's week five, you know, we got a, we got a buy next week, and then a big game in week seven. Like, let's just sit you this week and get you know, get some reps for some of these other guys who are. Or not a huge drop-off, maybe. Yeah, I don't think that we're going to see super high rep counts for Noah and Bucky on a week-to-week basis. I think it'll be kind of like that, kind of like last year, that like 9 to 14 carries a piece a game or touches a piece a game. Um, and then I think that we'll see guys like James, Dowdell, and um, again, game-specific, right? Like in your biggest games of the year, you're going to carry, you're going to let those backs carry the load a little bit more. But 
through most of the schedule, I would anticipate that the the rep split will be relatively low between the top two guys, and that we'll see that third, fourth, and fifth back a pretty substantial amount of run in most of these games. Yeah, so real quick, running back to Noah, um, he had 779 yards last year, 5.6 a carry, also five rushing touchdowns. Caught 22 balls out of the backfield uh, for another 169 and a touchdown. So uh, it, it's funny, you know, Noah and Bucky were almost interchangeable in in from a st- statistical performance um, standpoint, from a game situation standpoint. I mean, they're they're almost kind of like I mean, obviously they're different, right? But their their similarities are so are, are so glaring that it, it it's kind of funny. It is almost like you know two carbon copies of each other that are completely interchangeable. Yeah, I, I, they're different backs. They've got different skill sets, and I think they have different running styles. Um, I think at times Bucky is looking to be creative to a fault, and he will lose yardage or he will pass up on the four-yard run in hopes of cracking off something longer, and ultimately it'll end up turning into a negative play, whereas Noah is much more decisive in the fact that he's going to put his foot in the ground and hit that first crease. Um, he's more of a one-cut runner, where I think Bucky's a lot more comfortable doing being a pick-and-slide guy. Uh, but Noah's got good gas and good juice, and I think he uh, gets underrated by Duck fans, I think, in terms of the quality of player that he is. And he ran really hard for Oregon at times last year. Uh, and I'd love to see Oregon with maybe a little bit more of a limited tight end room in terms of depth this year run more two-back sets. And I think that the overall depth of this running back room will allow that. Yeah, I would think you'd want to see you know more two-back sets and, and probably more four-wide four receiver sets as well just because of that tight end situation. But... Um, yeah, I think you're right, and I think that's probably why we saw Bucky being the more regular uh, of the two that was in there on kind of your short yardage, outside of the situations where you had Jordan James as a short yardage back. As we as we got to the later part of the season, down the stretch in those big games, and we had short yardage situations, you typically saw Buck. Uh, I'm sorry, Noah in there on those third and ones and those fourth and one kind of plays and I think that's probably goes back to kind of what you were saying about the running style and his tendency to want to put his foot in the ground and, and get the yard versus you know maybe Bucky looking more to be more slippery and so I think that's probably why we saw that um not sure I always agreed with it at times last year but I'm not I'm not coach Lachlan and they don't pay me the big bucks but uh Noah went over 100 100 yards one time last year it was actually in that UW game he had uh 20 carries for 108 yards and a touchdown in that game uh, conversely, did not have a great ho- uh, holiday bowl at all. Only 27 yards on 11 carries, but obviously Bucky was carrying the day that that day, so he didn't didn't need him. And typically, that's what happens, right? You ride the hot hand. Yep, yeah, I agree. I, I just think that um, now that it's all his guys, and I think the room has been pared down a little bit. And I think again, I think that there was a lot of pressure to manufacture roles for other backs last year, at least like package wise. And I don't think that that's going to exist as much at the, this year. I think that there's some guys, there's some names that are a little bit more established um, in regards to the way the way that they're viewed by the coaching staff and, and by the – and I guess their production merits that, right? Um, and so I think that guys like Bucky and Noah will play very predominant roles, especially in big games and when games are in close contest. And then I think that guys like Jordan James are going to be able to earn their way into that rotation – um, creating opportunities for those sub packages, role, sub package roles to be manned by those younger players that are incoming freshmen who are both on campus for spring. Yeah, speaking of uh, Jordan James, so he he ran the ball forty six times last year for one hundred and eighty nine yards and five touchdowns. It's only a four point one average, but obviously that is very deceiving given that 
the bulk of his carries were in, you know, goal line and very short guarded situations. So he also had those five touchdowns equal what both Noah and Bucky had as well on the ground. Uh, didn't didn't really uh, wasn't really a factor at all out of the backfield. Again, not surprising considering his role in the offense. He did catch one pass against BYU. His best uh, game from a production standpoint came down in the desert at Arizona, where he got a lot of late run in that game, which was a blowout. Uh, he got 69 yards on 10 carries there. So uh, we, there was definitely flashes out of James. I thought we saw some stuff uh, in the bowl game as well, where he had he actually had only three carries, but he got nine yards of carry out of it, where he kind of showed, you know, some of what he could be going forward. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think that. When James got those opportunities outside the goal line to run in the open field, I think he showed really good run skills. And I think that he showed he's a really strong runner with good contact balance already at this stage in his career. And that was as a, as a true freshman who I don't believe was an early enrollee, uh, which gives me a lot of confidence that, again, as he develops, as the game slows down for him, as he becomes more comfortable running in the system and at this level, he's going to be a guy I think that becomes a really strong, consistent runner, um, which is... I don't know. I see. I see him as a guy that could become a, a primary back at some point in his career. Right. I don't think that he's limited to being a role player. I just think that as a true freshman, that was what was available, and he did a really good job in that set. There was a couple runs against BYU. I think of that really long drive where we went for a couple fourth downs in the second quarter, uh, where he's breaking tackles and breaking off longer runs. He has good burst, uh, balanced body control, and and I think he actually showed off some wiggle at times uh, in that in that North Carolina game. So. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he can he can look like this spring, uh, and I would like to see him have a, a an expanded role for the 2023 season. Yeah, well, it, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know he he could be in line to to be a starter or or, or you know one of the two guys in that one A one B situation you know a, another year from now right 2024 because I I think it's pretty likely that Bucky won't won't come back for that season and and there's a good chance Noah won't either right so you know running back is a position where you know you only have so much mileage and you know once you have two three years on tape like you're not getting drafted on your stats you're getting drafted on your on your film and on your measurables and and on your capabilities so um you know one or both of those guys you know may not be around past 2023 and and there'll be jobs to be had for for a guy like Jordan James, a guy like Dante Dowdell, a guy like Jaden Lamar, and, and potentially even whoever Oregon gets in this next recruiting class. So uh, it'll it's a it's a great room, but you always got to keep recruiting because, you know, with the transfer portal and early entries and guys looking around and moving on and moving up, it's you got to keep backfilling. Yeah, well, and Coach Lachlan's done such a good job of identifying and, and then securing his, his top priorities early on in cycles. Um, and so that gives me a lot of confidence in his ability – um, to continue to kind of build out this running back room and, and just kind of keep the pipeline flowing. Because, again, I, I don't think it would be a smart move for either Bucky or Noah to come back. Not that I think that they're high-level NFL guys right now, because I, I don't, but they're running backs that are kind of who they are who they are at this point. And so at, like how what value does it do to come back and run? Like I understand there's NIL, but come back and run at a discount relative to going to try to pursue a professional career while the odometer still has lots of miles left on it. Um, and I also think that the way that Oregon manages backs is a selling point for top backs coming from the prep levels because you know that you're not going to be in a situation like maybe backs that are have, have been playing at Wisconsin in the past have been in where they have 400, 500 carries under their belt by the time they get to the NFL. 
Yeah, I think if you look at it, if you're a back and you're looking at it, it's like, okay, I, I'm not going to come in here and be a Heisman candidate, right? Because I'm not going to get force-fed 300 carries. But all the advantages you just said are out there as well. And, and again, the NFL is not drafting you based on your stats. So there, as long as you have a role and you and you can put the the reps on tape, you can prove your worth. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. All right, uh, getting. I guess we'll talk briefly about. You mentioned Dante Dowdell, Jaden Lamar, the two two freshmen. They're both on campus. Uh, you know, have been for since January. I actually saw them, met them both in person at the signing day event, or both the signing day events uh, back in February. And I mean, they definitely looked apart. And and Dante Dowdell does not look like a true freshman. Uh, that dude is is jacked. He's a big. He's a big kid. Uh, he's definitely a different body type than. You know what what we have in Noah and Bucky. Yeah, these are some big backs. Um, I, I even Lamar, like he's not a big back, but he's physically developed for his age. Yes. Um, it just again, he's got a, he's got a different skill set. He's more of a uh, all-purpose back re- receiver out of the backfield, third down guy. I think. Uh, I mean, I think he'll develop into a, a fine every down back over time. But I just think early on, that's a role that he'll be able to carve out for himself, being pretty twitchy and explosive in the short area. Whereas Dowdell is just a grown ass man, right? Like that's a kid that you want to get him running downhill behind his pads, get him to a south. And I think that that's he body type wise is the outlier of the entire room. Like he's the biggest guy. Jordan James is thick, but he's only about five nine, five ten. Uh, whereas Dowdell is a six two, two hundred and twenty pound kid already, and he's not done growing. He's going to get bigger. So um, I'm really excited about both these players. I think both of them have substantial upside and. I think the spring is going to be a good opportunity for them to showcase themselves as these older backs with lots of experience are on reduced rep counts. Our next topic is going to be kind of something fun. We're going to buy some futures, QB. We're going to buy some top 25 futures in teams from all around the country. And the premise here is we're going to look ahead over the next three to four seasons, right? So this is not... Our prediction for the top 25 for 2023 season. This is this is our prediction for these are the top 25 programs, if you will, over the next three to four to five season window, right? So who's going to be positioned to best win national titles, playoff games, playoff appearances, conference titles, et cetera, et cetera. You ready to do this? I'm so ready. I think my list is pretty strong. Okay, well, we'll see. I, I mean, we don't. Obviously, we're not going to come back. Maybe we will come back in five years and see who was better, who was smarter, or not. But I don't know if I'll still have the list by then, or we'll remember. But we can do this every year too. We can update it. All right. So let's start with number twenty-five. I'll go first. I got Colorado as my number twenty-five. I'm going to buy some some Dion stock. Not nearly as much as a lot of national folks are buying, because there's a lot of Dion stock being bought. But I'll buy a little bit enough to put them at twenty-five. Yeah, I've got North Carolina. I don't have Colorado in my top 25. I think that um, North Carolina is a program that, depending on what happens with conference realignment, they're in a good position in the ACC to be, I think, at worst, the fourth best program in that in that conference. Um, and I think that's with a coach that probably should have retired a decade ago. And so what happens if they really take the opportunity? I think it's a good brand. I think they have good resources. I think they've shown that they can recruit well. Um, and they also have the best quarterback in college football for next year. So uh, yeah, for I, next I think for that, I think at least for that one year bump that helps. And I think that ultimately over the longer run, UNC has a potential 
to be a pretty good program. And again, I think it's a top four program in the ACC, whereas I don't think Colorado is the fourth best program in the Pac-12. I do have them at, at fourth in the Pac-12, or, or tied for fourth, if you will. Um, I, I think I had, I considered North Carolina. I think the Mac Brown situation was one of the reasons why I left them out because he hasn't retired yet. And I think the question will be when, when does that happen? What does that do to their program? And, and does that make them take a step back before they can rebuild and reload? So that, that uncertainty was, was why I didn't have them in. I actually have them as fifth in the ACC as well. How about your number 24? Um, I've got Maryland as my 2014, um, I actually think that Mike Loxley has quietly done a really good job at Maryland over the years. I think if anybody watched the NFL Combine closely this year, Maryland had all kinds of good draft prospects, and a lot of them weren't the highest-rated recruits coming out of high school. But they've done a really good job at the receiver position. Loxley is an offensive guy, has done a good job at quarterback. They added Josh Gaddis as a receiver coach this offseason. And I just think that the investment from Under Armour during the NIL process and just the fact of the matter is there's a lot of really good prospects in the DMV. And so um, – Outside of the big, the well, in the current East West divisional setup that the Big Ten has, which actually I think goes away this year, um, next year, I think one more year, I had Maryland. I would have Maryland as the fourth strongest program in that Eastern division, um, and so I, I'm I'm really excited to see what they look like here uh, over the next couple of years. So Maryland's a, a really I don't have them on my list, but I it's a it's an interesting pick, and it's one that probably people would, a lot of people would probably scratch their head about. But I'll say this. The doing away of divisions is probably, they're one of the programs that's going to benefit from that the most, right? Because right now they have that gauntlet, right? Right? They run that gauntlet, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State every year, Michigan State every year, that Eastern Division gauntlet, right? They're going to, out of that, they're going to play maybe one of Ohio State and Penn State every year, or one of Michigan and Ohio State every year, right? Or maybe one of the three of those, uh, you know, in alternating years, and then two in the three the other year. So they're going to have an opportunity to, to move up the rankings just from that standpoint alone. So I think that's a good pick on your part. I have another Big Ten team as my number 24, and that's Nebraska. Um, yeah, Western Division team now currently. Obviously, you know, Nebraska's back has been something kind of like Texas's back that's been going around for a long time. Uh, I do like their, their new head coach hire. I think that was, uh, you know, getting Matt Rule there, I think is going to be huge for them. I think there's an opportunity for them to climb back into the middle of the Big Ten and or the upper middle of the Big Ten even and be a you know a, a top 25 level team yeah I actually I have them on my list as well I have them higher um, the main reason that I have Maryland down this far is I think that the additions of UCLA and USC who are both on this list for me um, is going to push them down even into divisionalist setup just due to the fact that I think they're bigger brands that are going to have a little bit better talent yeah. um on, on a more con, like annual basis. Absolutely. So at 23, I've got TCU. They're the only big 12 school that I have on my list. Um, I just think that like when I'm looking at this, this is more power rating of programs for me as much as anything, like who your coach is now matters. Um, but, but like what, like what kind of talent can you recruit? What is the investment in NIL? What is the investment in the program in the conference? And I, I think that the Big 12 is going to really struggle. I don't think that there's a top – I don't think there's a clear top program other than TCU that's set up to really capitalize with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. I think it's going to be a really competitive league, and I think there's going to be a lot of parity. But, like, as much as I love a school like Kansas State, and I think they're a well-ran and well-coached program, 
I can't put a team like Kansas State over the other teams on this list. And so um, TCU to me, just based on the fact that because of where they're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, they can get bounce-back kids from other big SEC schools and national programs in the transfer portal. Um, I do think that their performance this last year and the fact that they have a, a, an offensive-minded coach is going to allow them to get access to some pretty good Dallas-area prospects. Um, and I, I think that they're committed to, in, in NIL to being at least being competitive with some of these bigger schools. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what TCU can do here in the next handful of years. Yeah, I also have them on my list, but a bit higher than you. Um, and I agree with everything you said, though. I, I think that when you're power-ranking teams – like, this list is not going to mirror what the top 25 list looks like, right? Because you're going to have teams that are 8-4 and four in the SEC or the Big Ten that we have ranked ahead of a team that's maybe 10-2 and two in the Big 12 or the Pac-12 or the ACC. And that's just that's just the reality of the power rankings and the, the scheduling disparity, which is only going to get more glaring, I guess, as we move into the Power 2 conference era. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so my number 23 was Florida. Um I know a lot of people have them ranked a little higher. I, I do like what, what Napier is doing down there, particularly on the recruiting trail. I think it's got I got to start seeing some on-field results a little bit more there uh, this year. And, and this is a team that you know definitely could fall out of the top 25, but I've got them at 23 right now. I got you. So for uh, moving forward here at 22, I've got UCLA. Um, this is actually primarily because I think Chip's a really good coach. Um, I think that the transfer portal has absolutely saved his job. Um, and I think they'll, they'll always be an attractive place in the portal just due to the fact that Chip's such a good coach. And I think that Dante Moore is the truth and is going to be – I think Oregon fans are going to look back as that's a, as a massively important missed opportunity um, to get him in the boat as the quarterback of the future for the Ducks. And so I think he will be that for the Bruins, and I think he's going to have a really good three-year career there. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I didn't put UCLA in my top 25, but I should have considered the Dante Moore factor and, and probably put them in, so that was a miss on my part. Um, I've got Louisville at or Louisville, Louisville at 22 on my list. Um, I have them as the fourth team in the ACC. I think you had North Carolina. I've got Louisville. So um, I think, again, they, they're doing a lot of work there with talent acquisition particularly. I think they're a program that is on the rise, and they play in a conference that is is very um, weak for you know for the most part. So there's there's opportunity for success. Yeah, I think I think Louisville's a good shout. I, I was like kind of tossed up between them and UNC for my twenty fifth spot. Um, I ended up going with UNC primarily because I think they're going to be better at least next year, just due to having Drake May. Um, and I, as much as I like Jeff Brom, I don't know like how that Louisville roster sits currently and how long of a rebuild that's going to be. Whereas I think UNC is kind of already like in, like pretty deep into that build. Fair enough. Uh, at 21, I've got Michigan State. Um, this is a team I really struggle with. I think that I, I like Coach Tucker. Um, I think he does a good job. I don't like the way that they approached recruiting last year their class was really really small and they were going to be super reliant on the transfer portal um, and i think that the competition in the in the big 10 with nebraska some of the investment that's being made with nebraska and wisconsin and then the additions of usc and ucla uh, I, I think that that job is just getting harder and harder although i do think that the divisionless big 10 might be a benefit to them since they're not trapped playing yep. um 
Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State every single year. Um, but, I mean, again, you might be trading that, that out to play Wisconsin, Nebraska, USC. So, Yeah, it's really- similar to what we talked about with Maryland. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it, the Big Ten, as I, as I was putting this list together, the Big Ten is fascinating to me. Uh, the new Big Ten, if you will, because I think you have a clear, a clear three tiers. You have a top tier, four to five teams deep. You have a bottom tier, four to five teams deep. And then the middle tier is where I struggle because I could put the same team at the top of the middle tier or the bottom of the middle tier, and I could have that middle tier in any order, and I could say, yep, that's plausible. That's reasonable, right? I mean, you talk about... Nebraska, UCLA, Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan State, Maryland. I, I, all of those are interchangeable to me. I, and they could all be in – I could put them in the absolute – any order you want and it would it'd check the box. It's going to be weird to see it play out. Yeah, I I think there's going to be a really meaty middle. Um, I, Iowa didn't make my top 25, but if Iowa ever gets the offense figured out, they'll be in this group. And that's going to be a really tough game on a weekly basis. And um, even some of the schools that are less consistent, schools like Purdue and Minnesota, um, they can produce good teams on a year-to-year basis. Even Northwestern has had really good teams for a year here or a year there. So uh, yeah. I, I think the Big Ten is going to be top-heavy in the sense that I think Ohio State and Michigan will still be the class. I think that Penn State and USC make up a really nice second tier. Um, but I think that the middle is going to be a very competitive place to be. Um with all of the recent investments, some of these new coaches that are being brought in. in my number 21, I actually have two big 12 teams in my list. Uh, so my number 21 team is Baylor. I like it's coaching, right? I like what they're doing with, with Aranda and obviously, you know, getting uh Powledge back over there as a DC. I think their coaching is strong. I think they recruit uh, pretty well. And I think with the new big 12, I think it's, I think it's a conference that's going to be run, it's fairly there's it's it's fairly equal even I guess I would say but I also think that I think TCU and Baylor are the two programs that could probably rise a little bit above the rest in that conference and so I have them at at twenty one. Uh, I'll go to my number twenty next. I'll double I'll double dip here. Uh, my number twenty is out of the Pac twelve. It's Washington. I I think their their coaching is such that they're going to be good enough to hang around that that 20th level i have them as the third team in the pac-12 over the next three to four years i think their talent level is going to drop off a little bit especially after this year um you know a lot of those coach peterson recruits will cycle out of the program obviously Penix will cycle out of the program and i think it'll be interesting to see how they're gonna be able to backfill their talent um going forward because they haven't been recruiting at a high enough level to to be a top 20 team yeah I actually also have Washington at 20. Um, I I like the staff. I like – well, I like Coach DeBoer. I like um, the offense. I think that they're going to do a pretty good job of being able to create offense regardless of the talent level in the recruiting. But ultimately, I think that they are when – I, when I compare them to other programs that I have ahead on this list, um, the talent the, – the, 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 the position to position, the average roster spot, talent level is going to be substantially lower um, – for Washington than it'll be for the schools that I have 19 to one. All right. Let's go with 19. So this is where I have Nebraska slotted in. 
Uh, I think that Matt Rule coming in, I think that the investment that's being that's taking place, they're, they're seemingly recruiting a lot better early on in this cycle than they did at the tail end of last cycle. I really like the approach that Matt Rule and his staff take just philosophically in terms of talent evaluation. They they take a, we, will, we don't care if you're good at football as a high schooler, we're going to recruit you based on the traits um, and then we're going to we're going to teach you how to play football. And that's what they did at Baylor. And that's how they made that super miraculous turnaround the way that they did. So um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Matt Rules as a coach. I think he's one of the better coaches in that league. But I do think that they've got some work to do um, to get themselves to a competitive place, uh, especially with you with USC and UCLA joining the conference here in the short term. All right, I have Texas A&M at 19 for me. Um, yeah, I have them as the seventh highest ranked team in the in the New Look SEC, and I think they're one of the teams that is probably going to um, be hurt the most, if you will, by both uh, the the loss of divisions as well as Texas and Oklahoma coming in. So I, I, certainly they're still they're still a top twenty team. Their talent they're going to continue to recruit. I think the biggest questions around them obviously are on the coaching front. Uh, they haven't they haven't gotten anywhere near what they need to get out of their talent the last couple of years. They've you know obviously got a new offensive coordinator. They've retooled some of the staff, um, but I think I got to see it from Jimbo and company before I'm ready to move them higher up this list than 19. I got you. Who do you have at 18? I got TCU here. So this is uh, this is the highest Big 12 team I have in the rankings at 18, and I've got them uh, TCU, and, and obviously you talked about them earlier. All right, so this is where I have Florida, um, and I think that I actually think I like Florida as a program more than some of the schools I have ahead of them. But just based on where I have them sitting in the in the SEC, this is the first SEC school that I've listed off. But they're also my eighth-ranked SEC school. Uh, sorry, ninth-ranked SEC school. Um, and so, just based on the the competition that they're going to have to deal with in their own in their own league, I, I have to ding them a little bit relative to their peers. And so, um, I've got I've got Florida eighteen. Uh, what do you got? Uh, I had TCU at 18. Oh, yeah, my apologies. Yeah, no so, now, so now I'm going to 17. Yep. Um, and this is actually where I have Florida State. Uh, I think uh, Florida State, to me, is the third, be- like, long over the longer term with Mike Norvell, I think that they're the third best program in the ACC currently. And it sounds like, from all the recruiting stuff I've been reading the last couple of weeks, that Florida State's NIL has really come together. I know they really dominated the transfer portal this, this season, but they really need to start hitting that prep recruiting hard. Um, if they're going to make a run at Miami and Clemson uh, and be more perennial contenders and not just a team that could build up for a year here or there. Uh, but I think that Florida State is such an incredibly strong brand, and I think that they have such a great talent base and, and, and they have a lot of alumni support. And I also think that they're in a league that's very winnable for them when they're clicking, as we saw under Jimbo Fisher. So um, big, big fan of, of Mike Morvell and what he's doing over there offensively. And I think that Florida State is actually in a better spot to win and, and to produce winning seasons than Florida is currently. Yeah, uh, we'll get. I have Florida State a little bit later on my list, so I'll, I'll talk about that then. So my number 17 is actually another school from the state of Florida, and that is the University of Miami. Uh, I, I, you know, you probably have them higher than me, it sounds like. And I understand that. They're obviously Mario is going to recruit the lights out. Um, but I, you know, I think Florida State's is a better program. I think they're a better brand. I do have questions about Miami from a, a, you know, a coaching and putting it all together standpoint. You know, and we'll see 
we'll see how that how that progresses going forward. But I think that that rebuild there might take a, a couple more years. So I got them at seventeen. Yep. So I I do have Miami a little bit higher than you, but not much. So as we roll into sixteen, I've got Wisconsin. Um, I think that now with Luke Fickle as the coach, they're going to recruit and they're going to acquire talent at a much higher level. They've already turned over the whole quarterback room in about five minutes. Uh, they brought in Phil Longo. They're going to throw the ball around a little bit more. Um, and I think that they're going to be able to complement that, that power run game that's in the that's ingrained in the DNA of that program uh, with some explosiveness and with, with a higher quality of athlete at receiver than what they've been used to. Uh, and ultimately, I think that's going to result in Wisconsin being a really strong and formidable opponent in the big in the new Big Ten. Um, what do you, who do you have at uh, sixteen? Um, I've got Utah at sixteen, so they're my my second Pac twelve team in this list. I have them ahead of Washington, uh, just because I think from a recruiting standpoint, they have actually while Washington's kind of been ticking down, Utah's been ticking up. They actually out recruited Washington the last couple of years. Their recruiting has gotten better, and their coaching is just. It's as long as uh, Kyle stays there, right? So I think that's the question here with Utah: is is, is he going to be here for three or four years? And if so, I'm very comfortable putting them at 16 on this list because I think they're going to win at a consistently high level uh, with him, with him and his coaching staff. Uh, and I like them just a little bit more than Washington from from that standpoint. So I've got Utah at 16 here. So I don't actually have Utah in my top 25 because I don't think Kyle Whittingham is going to be there for this whole term. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, and I think that when Cam Rising leaves, I'll be interested to see what they do at quarterback. I mean, I'm sure they'll hit the portal, but they, they really have done well with Rising uh, and the staff, and Ludwig was almost poached by Notre Dame this offseason. I just could see things going a couple different directions for Utah, and I think that longer term, I, I believe more in just the brand and everything that Washington has going on uh, over Utah. Now, in the short term, I think Utah's probably a, a, a fairly good matchup, but we'll see. So it's interesting because there's been – I'm going to talk a little bit about both Wisconsin and Utah here. Um, there's been some other podcasts that I listen to, national ones that have done similar lists uh, as this one we're doing uh, this offseason. It's been a fun topic, and it's kind of where I stole the idea from. <laughs> um, and both of them have Utah – or most of the ones I've listened to have had Utah and Wisconsin considerably higher on this list than either of us. I've seen Wisconsin in multiple top tens, which I think is – kind of insane um I, I i love luke fickle i don't i but i do think you got to prove it a little bit more before i'm ready to move them into the top 10 especially when you realize that the teams you have to push down to put them there uh and then uh, similarly i've seen a lot of teams have utah in that kind of same you know 9 10 11 12 range which i think i think they're they're probably over over revving a little bit on the back-to-back conference titles and and not to take away anything from Utah because they've earned both of those titles, but um, particularly this past season, you know, there were some circumstances that allowed that to happen, and I think we're we're probably rating Utah quite a bit differently, um, you know, if if Caleb Williams doesn't get hurt in the in the Pac-12 title game, or if Oregon doesn't blow a thirty-point lead and <laughs> against Oregon State, you know, at the last game of the season, and Utah doesn't even make the Pac-12 title game, so. Um, I do think Utah's a strong program. Obviously, have them at 16th. I think putting them in the top 10 is uh, is kind of silly. Yeah, I agree. All right, All right. 15. Uh, this... this one might be controversial for some some people. I've got USC at 15. Okay, um, I don't have them this low. I've got Miami, but I'd like to hear your your thoughts. 
I just, as I'm looking at teams I've got ahead of them, I actually have a, I'm just, I'm trying to move them ahead of some of these teams, and the defense continues to be the, the, the bugaboo in my mind until I see, like, significant improvement, you know, in talent and execution on that side of the ball. And obviously, you know, they're going to reload a quarterback and receiver, um, but where are they going to go, you know, on, on the offensive line? Running back, defense. I, I have some questions. I have some questions there, and, and I'm everyone I have on the list ahead of them. I'm like, no, I I can't I can't push USC ahead of that team. I I understand I understand that perspective, but I I do think that their like their skill talent and their quarterback play and the offense that they run, even if the defense is only average, which I think it ultimately will end up being average over the longer run, um, is going to be a matchup problem for basically everyone but the two or three most talented teams that are currently in the Big Ten, the Penn States, the Michigans, the Ohio States. Um, and so I just – I don't know who is equipped to, A, stop them and, B, match them or, or inflict their own will on on, a, on an average defense um, yeah. on a consistent basis. So I've, I've got Miami at 15. Um, if – Mario ever f- figures out the offense. Um, they've got a lot of talent. They've turned over a ridiculous amount of staff, but the roster is, is definitely going to improve. I mean, we know how Mario recruits. Uh, I think that that's going to be a really strong roster here in the next year or so. Um, and so I think that if I'm buying futures of an ACC team, they're going to be a team that's probably competing for ACC titles here in the shorter term. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, moving on to 14, I have Wisconsin here, so I know you had them uh, You had them at 16. I've got Wisconsin at 14 for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. Uh, and this is kind of the debate I was having internally uh, in the Big Ten, particularly like, okay, I've got Wisconsin versus USC for the, for the fourth spot in the Big Ten, and I kind of was flip-flopping them back and forth. I mean, they're interchangeable. I rolled with Wisconsin. Um, but you know you can make an argument for USC as well, so that's where I went. This is where I have Auburn. Wow, I don't even have Auburn in my top twenty-five at all. I got you. Well, I so Freeze is a really good offensive coach. Auburn's a program that can recruit the type of talent in the in the fronts um, to play for national titles. I mean, they've played for two national titles in the last thirteen years. They've won one. Uh, they almost won a second one under Gus Malzahn against Florida State in the last BCS national title game. Um, I think that Auburn, we you can see it, the investment, the fanaticism around that program, the NIL is going to be there, and they're in a really good hotbed where they can get into that Atlanta market and recruit, um, recruit Florida, recruit the Southeast. I think that Auburn is one of those SEC programs that can actually win a national title, that can win an SEC conference title. Um, and I think that with the offense that Freeze is going to bring to, to – uh, Auburn, I think that they're going to be a pretty competitive team to watch uh, over the over the next three or four years. Fair enough. Thirteen, who you got? I got A and M. Talent acquisition matters. I, I know that um, they haven't gotten quarterback right and offense right. I think we'll, we'll see what happens this year with Bobby Petrino. But ultimately, even if it doesn't work out, I, I think that A&M has enough money and they're committed enough to winning that the roster will always be strong and they'll just go hire another coach and who might be able to actually get it done. So uh, I, I would not feel comfortable having a team with just the ridiculous FU money that A&M has 
not in my top 15. So I've got them at 13 just ahead of Auburn, just based on the fact that that roster is already incredibly strong um, and their recruiting momentum doesn't isn't seeming to stop. Um, and, and Jimbo Fisher has proven to be a winner in the past, and maybe he can get things right righted offensively. Uh, well, again, maybe Bobby Petrino is the answer that they've been looking for. Um, and they can they can finally complement what is one of the more talented defenses in the country. I mean, from a Jimmy's and Joe's standpoint, I don't know that there's a lot of teams that can match up with AM today. Uh, and so as we project over the next couple of years, they have the they have the bulk of that number one recruiting class still in, in intact. Um, I want to see what AM can can put together. I've got Florida State as my 13. Uh, we talked about both of these teams earlier as we I had AM lower and you had Florida State lower. Uh, I just think, as I said before, I think Florida State's a little bit uh, more primed to win in the shorter term uh, compared to Miami. You know, we, we seem to want to compare those two teams for obvious reasons, uh, but that's where I have them here. Um, I'll move on to number 12 now. This is where I have Oklahoma slotted in. Uh, obviously, they're going to be moving over to the SEC along with Texas here after one more season in the Big 12. Um, I think Venables is doing a great job recruiting there. Their talent acquisition is really strong. They're probably honestly too low on this list. I should probably have them higher, but again, I'm struggling. Like, who am I pushing them ahead of? Um, I, you know, and so I got them at 12. I think at this point, like the top 12, to me, gets really hard. Uh, it, it's really hard to, to, especially like the next, you know, 12 through eight, 12 through seven. Is a lot of interchangeability there. Yeah, so I'll run you through. So like, I've got this is where I have USC. Is at 12. Um, I think. They, uh, with the way that they can acquire talent, specifically on the offset, offensive side of the ball, they're always going to be elite on that in that phase. And I think that if Riley were to make a coordinator change, um, and if USC were to get some things right, they could start to recruit defensively at a level that would bring them into like pretty consistent playoff contention. Um, because the quarterback play is always going to be there, the offense is always going to be there. Um, but when I'm comparing USC based on what like they're doing on the recruiting trail on the defensive side of the ball relative to the, some of the teams I have ahead of them that are also really like cons- really good offensive teams. Um, I just, I can't rationalize putting USC above like a Tennessee or a Penn state. Um, and so I'm really interested to see uh, what changes, if any occur on the defensive staff for USC over the next couple of years. Yeah. I, I, I think there was a lot of people disappointed down there that Grinch was retained and I guess we'll see how much longer that, Either he's going to turn it around, or they're going to have to make a change at some point or another. And maybe, maybe they just wanted to make a clean, a clean split of it when they're changing conferences, or maybe Riley just really, really likes him, or maybe he's you know got some bad pictures on him or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I uh, number eleven. Who you got at eleven? I've got Tennessee. Okay. Um, I think this is where I slot Tennessee in. I think that Tennessee and USC are very similar. I think that Tennessee offensively is going to be really good. I think that they've got their quarterback of the future with Deco, and I think that Joe Milton might be a solid uh, intermediary, although I could see them ultimately just going straight to Nico. Uh, and I think that they're recruiting at such a great level on the edges defensively. I think that they're they're with NIL, they're prioritizing the, like, the scarcest skill sets, like with edge, quarterback, receiver. Um, and I think that they're going to be a team that's going to have the bodies and the types of athletes on the fronts uh, to do things that USC can't. Um, and so for that reason, I think I, that's why I kind of ended up giving Tennessee the nod over USC. Yeah, uh, I have Tennessee a little bit higher on my list. And, and honestly, Tennessee's a team, if you're going to look at any team that's, you know, you got outside your top 10 here as a team that you could see vaulting up 
uh, approaching the top five, Tennessee might be that team. You know, they got to they got to do it another year or so. But I could absolutely see them vaulting ahead of five or six teams on this list pretty easily, pretty fast. I got you. So at ten, oh, I, uh, I got it. Wait, I got mine at eleven still. <laughs> all right, we'll spit it out. My number eleven is Notre Dame. Oh shoot! I forgot about Notre Dame. I was thinking maybe you did because I'm looking at I'm looking at who's left and I'm like, who did he not have in his top ten? And then I realized you probably forgot about oh, Notre Dame. Oh crap! All right, well my my list is shot. Uh, you just slot them in somewhere and we'll move everyone else down one. Yeah, I mean I'd probably put them in right around Auburn and A and M at like fourteen, fifteen, thirteen, okay. fourteen. Fair enough. We'll we'll slot that in. Yeah, and then it's just okay. They're not in a conference, so it's easy to forget them. Just bump UNC out. All right, fair enough. So I have Notre Dame at 11. Um, I think they're going to, you know, Notre Dame has, I think, institutional challenges that, that probably cap them in this in this area of the chart. Uh, you get the right coach in there, maybe they can move up a few slots. Um, but I think, I think they're going to live right around that 10 spot. Uh, I think Notre Dame is going to be quite happy if they can make their way into the into a first round playoff game every year hopefully at home collect a big paycheck and and uh, go on their way but if they ever figure it out obviously Notre Dame has all the advantages in the world yeah I think Notre Dame has a lot of advantages they have a lot of disadvantages getting certain types or certain kids into school it kind of limits their recruiting base a little bit they've also really struggled to get quarterback right and so um, getting quarterback right in the short term will be interesting to see. Um, and then in the longer term, what does that look like over the next three or four years? Like who is the prep that they're bringing in? That's going to be the guy. Um, and so that's what I'll be interested to see with Notre Dame. Um, since I didn't get an opportunity to talk about them. All uh, right. Top 10 QB. Yeah. So I got Penn state at 10. Um, I, I love what James Franklin does on the recruiting trail. I think that Penn State, from like a talent balance standpoint, like across the roster, is like I think they're one of the more like evenly balanced and talented teams in the country. Um, but I don't know that um, James Franklin is as good a coach as some of the other coaches I have in front. And I also think that they're always going to be at a slight disadvantage compare in comparison to the Ohio States and Michigans of that league. Yeah, I got Tennessee at 10, and we talked about them, obviously, a minute ago. We had them at 11, so we're pretty close there. Um, and I have Penn State coming up on my list a little bit higher. But uh, Tennessee's at 10 for me. At 9, I've got the Ducks. Um, obviously, the recruiting is there. Um, they have a top 10 roster in the country based on the recruiting. They continue to recruit. Uh, in fact, I would say they're probably recruiting better at least from a balance perspective a roster balance perspective uh, across the, the whole roster better than they were under Mario I think they are under Dan Oregon has their NIL figured out I, I think they've got one of the quietly to most one of the better NIL programs in the country and I think that's that's become pretty clear and I think there's a little bit of projection here from a coaching standpoint, but I think there's reasonable reason to do that, and they're going to be playing in a revamped Pac-12 that doesn't have USC uh, in it anymore. Not to say that USC has been dominating the conference, but obviously they're on the rise with, with Lincoln Riley right now. And and I, you know, a year ago we were sitting here talking about how this conference is going to be Oregon versus USC for the foreseeable future, and how much fun that could be. Well, now one of those teams isn't in it anymore. <laughs> so, uh, I, to me, Oregon's 
clearly the class of the conference from a futures perspective, and and I've got them at nine. And I have us at nine as well, and and I actually think that like Oregon is somewhat transcendent in the sense that like if Oregon were to move conferences, I wouldn't move them. If they were to join the SEC, that'd be different. But like if they were to go to the Big Ten, I still like where I have Oregon ranked because I think that from a talent standpoint, um, from from an access to different kinds of athletes from different parts of the country, and I think the the, the coaching staff is really good as well. Um, and then obviously the NIL and the resources and all the things that go with that. Um, I think that Oregon would be in a position to be one of the five or six best teams in the Big Ten. I think that they're in a position to be the best program and the most, the consistently most talented program in the Pac-12 uh, for the foreseeable future. And so that's where that's where I'm at with with Oregon at nine. Yeah, interesting. I mean, if Oregon were to move to the Big Ten, you could actually see that helping Oregon's recruiting, and not just from a money standpoint, right? Just, I mean, Oregon's a national recruiting brand already right i mean they go recruit all over the country and actually playing you know five six games a year or you know or four games a year in the midwest footprint you know could be compelling to a lot of people that oregon's already recruiting and signing in a lot of cases already so it it could actually improve that even more but uh it's interesting thought i just had who you got at eight Uh, i got oklahoma at eight um to me, I like I like the Vendables hire. I, I like the Levy hire to run the offense. I think that that I think that once they get the right bodies in there, the defense was just so torn apart, and frankly, so was the offense by the time Lincoln Riley was done with that roster. And so, um, I just think that them getting their own guys in, revamping that culture. I know it's a little bit different of a setup than it was under Riley there, um, and and I think Oklahoma's recruiting at a really good level. And so, I know they're going to the SEC. Um, I think that they're second fiddle to Texas, even in the new SEC. But I think that Oklahoma is one of those schools that's just going to beat the hell out of the Mississippi schools. That's going to like consistently beat the bottom half of the of the uh, SEC. Yeah, and I if I had one do over in this top twenty five list, I know yours is Notre Dame. Uh, mine would probably be Oklahoma. I had them at twelve, and I and it didn't feel good about it. I didn't feel good about it when I talked about it five minutes ago, and and I still don't feel good about it. So I, I think I like your pick on Oklahoma a little bit better here, inside the top ten at number eight. Uh, speaking of Texas, I have them as my number seven, and again, this is a team that you could easily slot in even higher. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna want to make them prove it a little bit first. So I got them at seven. I got Michigan at seven. Um, I have I've got just uh, I got I got Texas at six. The reason so is that I think that Michigan or Texas uh, as a program is set up a little bit better for success. They're more willing to spend on NIL. I think that they have access to a better athlete um, at whole, um, just based on philosophically how they recruit, where they're at, um, the fact that they're the biggest brand in that state, and just how much talent comes out of that state on a regular basis. And I also think that offensively they're going to be more forward-thinking with Sark as the head coach. And so um, I, Texas is out recruiting Michigan. I think that ultimately they're going to have the more talented roster in the longer run. Um, and I think that Texas at some point is going to have, like, a playoff caliber team. Yeah, I I have no doubt about it, especially as we move to a 12-team playoff. I think they're, they could be there. I mean, they could be in year, there in year one of the 12-team playoff. I, they I could be there this year. at all. It wouldn't uh, surprise I, me if they won that league this year and went undefeated. Like they're like they have yeah, that's not a, a lot point. of talent. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I have you had Michigan at seven. I had Texas at seven. You had Texas at six. I've got Clemson at six. Uh, 
I think, you know, probably a little low. Maybe they should be five here. Maybe I should flip-flop them. Uh, but, you know, they've they've kind of fallen off a little bit the last couple of years. Not completely, right? But they're they're not what they were three years ago, four years ago. Can they get back to that level? Sure they can. Will they? I guess time will tell. So I've got them at number six. So I've got I've got uh, Clemson at five. Um, and if they hadn't hired Garrett Riley, I wouldn't have him this high. But I think that that showed that Dabo is paying attention and that he knows that um, he can't be complacent and that he needs to continue to bring in outside, outside uh, ideas and push the envelope there. And I, they recruit at such a high level. Um, again, they just – they have access to talent in the state of Georgia and the South um, and, and on the Eastern seaboard, specifically in the front seven that other, other programs wish they could get. Um, get being able to go down into Alabama and get a five-star like Peter Woods is a perfect example of that on the interior of the defensive line. Um, and I think that with Garrett Riley now on the offense, I think they're going to recruit even better there. And I think that they're going to get much better performances um, to match, which what, what has been a very consistently like elite defense. And so um, I think Clemson, with Dabo at the helm, specifically now with Garrett Riley as the offensive coordinator, absolutely is a top five uh, program for the next four years. Yeah, I've got Michigan at number five. Um, probably a little high on them. I think, you know, probably paying some deference to the two back to back playoff appearances and Big Ten titles there. Um, I think the question with Michigan is, is Harbaugh and quarterback, right? Can they figure out quarterback? And is Harbaugh going to be around for the three to four to five years that, that make up this timeline that we're, we're ranking here? And it seems like every year he's eyeing the NFL. So, you know, maybe next year or the year after, one of those years is the year he bolts, and then what does that do to that program? And I, I also wonder if it almost feels like Michigan was built to beat Ohio State. I don't know that they've been built to win beyond that. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I have Michigan pinned down there below Texas and Clemson is because I just didn't – I don't think that they recruit at a high – like they don't get – when you're at this level, like the baseline talent at like the bottom of your roster needs to be at a certain level. And I think that while Michigan plays really well and they're bought in and they do a good job developing talent and they are producing good talent, their like baseline talent level is not as high as these other teams – um, and I don't know that Harbaugh is going to get there, although they are recruiting at a, at a better click this year than they had in recent memory. So unless one of us has has completely dropped the ball here, we have the same four teams left in our in our top four. Yeah. Why don't you kick it off with number four? So number four to me is LSU, and I could I could totally understand an argument to making them number three. Um, LSU is LSU. It's a program that you can recruit unbelievably elite talent to. You have unlimited resources and support. I think Brian Kelly is a really good coach. I think that the, you saw the kind of the talent that, that is was existing on that roster last year, um, and they did a really good job on the recruiting trail. And so um, if they get quarterback right, I think that LSU is going to be one of the three best teams in the, in the SEC on a perennial basis, which is going to absolutely put them in contention for a national title on a, yearly, on a year in and year out. Yeah, LSU is also my number four. I mean, their last three head coaches have all won national titles. Uh, so I, I, say to say they can't and that Brian Kelly can't is, is absurd. Of course they can. Um, you know, one of the really interesting things, of, a little bit of an aside here, one of the really interesting things about going into the 12-team playoff era is the the importance that's going to be placed on either winning 
a conference title game or even making it to a conference title game is going to be severely diminished. Um, you don't need it. You know, you know, if you're in the SEC or, or the, you know, particularly, you know, you don't, you don't need to win the conference title to, you make, need to be in that top three. Yeah. Top three for sure. But, but honestly, most years, the top five are in maybe even the top. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Anyway, top four, top five, most years are probably going to make it. And so you can make an argument that if you're coming down the stretch and you've got a juggernaut Georgia team, you'd almost be better off not playing that game. You get a better seed, you get more rest, and you cruise into round one. I don't know, just a thought. But LSU is well positioned. Whether they're, you know, I'm sure that no no team goes into it with that goal, right? But I'm uh, I'm saying if you get to that point, and that's what happens, it's not the worst thing in the world. But LSU is going to be well positioned. Uh, to to compete for and win SEC titles and certainly to make the playoffs and make noise there, as you said. So I've got them at four. My number three is Ohio State. Um, I know a lot of people will, will question that given, you know, they've lost to Michigan the last two years, but they also were, were a field goal away from beating Georgia and winning the national title. So uh, they recruit at a very high level. Ryan Day is always going to score a ton of points and have the offense figured out. Seems like they're making some progress on the defensive side of the ball. They're always going to have talent. They're Ohio State. Yeah, I, Ohio State is like, I think probably the most transcendent brand in the sport. Like just the power that 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 brand fault pulls behind it, the amount of money, the power, the resources. I think Ryan Day is a really good coach. I think as we saw, they're one of the few teams that has a roster that can actually go toe to toe with like a tuned up Bama or Georgia. Um, and so I think that having them at three is a no brainer. And I and I think. I think that people have been hard on Ryan Day due to the to the two losses to Michigan, um, but I think that those the the issues that caused those two losses are, are either a already fixed or they're deeply in progress and will be fixed by next year. So um, two and one, I'm sure, is going to be the same for both of us. I got Bama Georgia one two, or you Georgia, got Bama, Georgia. You got Bama at one. No, I got I got Bama at two Georgia one. Okay, me too. Yeah, same same order. I, I you know it's funny because. You know, you listen to a lot of the national podcasts and, and the debate between Bama and Georgia or Nick and Kirby as number one and number two is, is definitely raging. And it's it I really particularly enjoy the Andy Staples show, Andy and, and Ari Wasserman arguing about it constantly. And and I can't remember which one, but one of them is just holding on to Alabama as the clear number one and won't even won't even brook a conversation about Georgia being one. And I'm just like, I, I just can't I can't get with that line of thinking at all. I I mean, the baton has been passed. I mean, and, and George is a machine right now, um, and they have access to better talent than Bama um, overall. I mean, they both have access to absurd talent, right? But but Atlanta, they don't have access to better talent. I, Atlanta's a better recruiting ground than, than Alabama, but Bama yeah, just broke the record for the best recruiting class, like literally three months. They have ago. to work harder to get it, though. I think is what I'm saying. But I, I also think there's a there's a I mean, Georgia's there. Like, we don't forget the recruiting part, but Georgia's there. They've won two in a row. Kirby is in his prime, um, taking nothing away from Nick, and I think Nick can easily win another title or two before he retires. But I just think, I think if you're going to buy futures in one of those two programs, Georgia's going to get the nod for me. No, I agree. I mean, I like, I agree in the sense that I'm buying. If I'm buying futures, I'm buying Georgia because Kirby's younger, but Nick is still the goat, and. Bama still has unbelievable talent, and I I do not think that Nick Saban has done winning national titles. Um, so I have Georgia because I think I know that Kirby's going to be there for the next fifteen years. But I I 
absolutely do I this is much closer than I think you're making it seem as cut and dry. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I, I, I certainly don't think I, maybe I am overselling it. Cause I don't think it's like a, a one and then a big gap and then Alabama. I think it's, it's one a one B, but I think there's a clear, I don't think it's hard to, to decide which one's a and which one's B, I guess is what I'm getting at. I mean, Georgia's won back to back national titles. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm going to give them that one, but I'm just saying that like Bama still is Bama. They still recruit at that level. They still have ridiculous talent. They still have the best head coach in the history of the sport. Um, and so as long as Nick is there, they are no worse than a B, like a 1B in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with all that. All right, this has been fun. We'll see what the listeners uh, think about any of this, if they agree, disagree, vehemently uh, hate some of our picks. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think after running through it, there's a couple things I'd change around. Um, but I, I'm i pretty happy with, with the way it turned out, other than Notre Dame getting omitted because I'm an idiot. But <laughs> Yeah, it happens. Um, no sweat it. So I think uh, that's a good hour, QB. I think that's a good good episode. Get back into it. That was fun. It's good Indeed. to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. And I, I missed you and... Uh, um, I miss Justin and I'm excited to record again, hopefully here in the next couple of days. Absolutely. So thank you all for listening again. Check out scoopdeck.com for all the latest in recruiting and other insider information. A lot of good visit information starting to come out around the spring game, which was here in uh, four short weeks, a little less than four short weeks actually. And then obviously spring practices pick up again uh, this week. So we'll start hearing a lot more information about that as well. So Andrew, you have a great evening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You as well, Doug.